Good morning, everyone. If you brought your Bibles, could you maybe turn with us to Colossians 1? Have you ever experienced where there's something in life you think you understand? You got it, it's nailed, it's clear, and then something happens maybe after a few years and you realize, oh my goodness, I didn't understand that at all. My, my, this, this changes how I, how I need to deal with this or understand this. I need a, I need a paradigm shift. A few months ago, uh, we were on the ferry coming back from France. Anybody here been on that ferry, Calais to Dover? So the ferry was just pulling out of dock, and I went to the loo, and I saw this sign over the loo. It said, no foreign objects. <laughs> I thought, what is a foreign object? We're in France still. So would that be some fish and chips, you know, if you had a little extra? You'd... Or maybe if you get halfway across the English Channel, if you throw your crepe that you'd picked up at the Calais Beach, you know, would that be a foreign object? I... And like one of our kids, when she started having children of her own, she said, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. But then she realized that the kids would be there. And, and that, wouldn't, that wouldn't do. But she loves her kids. But uh, I'd like us this morning to look, take a look at the Christian life, maybe from a different angle, maybe from a, a perspective that you haven't thought of before, um, and uh, hopefully biblical, uh, but maybe a different angle. Colossians 1. Now, Paul was writing to the new church in the city of Colossae. This would be in modern-day Turkey. <clears throat> Paul was not the one who started this church. Rather, it was one of his interns. And this intern, Epiphas, comes back and says, talks about the great stuff happening in this church. And so Paul writes these believers, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that, and catch this, four prayers, you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Isn't that great? Live a life worthy of the Lord. And may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Aren't those great things? I want those four things in my life. I know you want those things in your life as well. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's phraseology that elsewhere is really closely tied with the, with the Holy Spirit in us, the power of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. So that you may know or that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You're in the kingdom of light now. And then just really settle on verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. Paul says, really, this, this earth, this life, there's two kingdoms, and everybody is either in one kingdom or the other. One of the kingdoms is he calls the kingdom of darkness, and that'll come maybe a bit clearer through the message. The other kingdom is the kingdom of his son. It's a whole new kingdom. It's a radical kingdom. It's the kingdom of, it's the kingdom of God. And when you became a Christian, you know, you didn't just take on a new set of beliefs, kind of, you know, acquiesce to a new set of propositional truths about certain religious things. You didn't just maybe change your friends or start going to church. You actually were transferred from one kingdom to a whole different kingdom. In fact, you were rescued 
Paul says. And the whole rest of this message is about what that means. How, what does it mean to live in the kingdom of his son? And so basically we have two, two basic points uh, to this sermon. Now I apologize. I realize sermons are supposed to have three points, so do please find it in your heart to forgive me. I've only got two. But first of all, what is this kingdom thing? And then secondly, what is the gospel? Because one sort of begs the other uh, as a question. What is this kingdom thing? What is the gospel? Well, last summer, there was an excellent series about the kingdom of God here at King's, and so this may remind you of some of those things. But, um, you know, there's a word that we use a lot here, in fact, not just here, all over the West among Christians. It's not in the Bible, uh, but we use it virtually as synonymous with everything that's good, everything that's biblical, all the wonderful things we have in Jesus, basically the gospel. And that word, again, it's not in the Bible, is Christianity. There's another phrase that's all over the pages of the Scripture, especially the New Testament, but also the Old, and that's the kingdom of God. But we don't tend to talk about it that much. We, we use it only in selective contexts. And I would suggest that maybe we switch those a little bit. Because the term Christianity, in my way of thinking, is not that helpful. Uh, let me explain what I mean. This is maybe a little bit controversial, but... Uh, Maybe the last time you'll be seeing me up here after I, I mention this. <laughs> you know, the, the word Christianity, it sounds like a box. There's this, there's this religious box, and there's all these other religious boxes around the world, and there's Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and atheism and all these religious boxes, and you're either in one religious box or another, and it's about what box you can tick on a census survey. Okay, I'm a Christian. Um, is that what Jesus came proclaiming? Believe it or not, Jesus did not come here to earth to bring another volume to the bookshelf of world religions. Rather, he came so that every man and woman and child on the planet could enter the kingdom of God. That was his message. And, and we can talk about Christianity, and we kind of know what we mean, and it's fine in, in these walls. But you get outside, and people hear something different when we use the word Christianity. You can go around neighborhoods in High Wycombe and say, hey, please convert to Christianity. Um, a terrible phraseology, but sometimes that's essentially our message. And they say, oh, yeah, we heard about you guys. You eat pork, you drink wine, you sleep around, and you believe in three gods. Thanks, I think I'll take a pass. <laughs> Jesus' message was enter the kingdom of God. And as we see what that means, you'll see how attractive that is. Now, let me just give you a little sampling of some verses of the kingdom. The kingdom, again, I've making the case is this phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of his son, is all over the pages, especially of the New Testament, although it has Old Testament origins. Matthew 4, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom of God, or sorry, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's important, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Romans 14, Paul says, Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God, or we might say the Christian life, but he says, no, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Even the book of Revelation. I heard a loud voice in heaven, John says, saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. In fact, 142 times in the New Testament, 111 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 111. 
eight times in the book of Acts, 15 times in Paul, four times in the other epistles, and four times in the book of Revelation. The point is, the kingdom of God, whatever it is, we haven't even said what it is yet, but whatever it is, it's central. It's all over the place. Um, And I suggest we really go back to it. Now, one of the problems is when we think of the kingdom of God, when we hear that, we tend to say, oh, I know what that is. That's heaven. I want to go to heaven and entering the kingdom of God. That must be what I must do to go to heaven. And sometimes we think, what's the minimum I have to do in order to get my ticket, you know, to go to heaven? And uh, that's not it at all, really. I mean, there's some overlap there, but that's really not what Jesus was speaking about with the kingdom of God. I'm indebted to Tim Keller for the definition where he says, the kingdom of God is the world remade by God. God wants to completely remake the world, starting with us, and the church then becomes a remade society. The kingdom is, is the world remade by God. We live in a world, again, that domain of darkness, where things like sex and money and power are used consistently selfishly and hurting other people and exploitatively, but in the kingdom, it's, it's completely different. Things like sex and money and power are used selflessly to bless others, to bring life, to give life. And so the kingdom of, of God then is life perfectly flourishing, life wonderfully, the way God intended, so that you know, we have perfect relationship with God, we have perfect relationship with one another, with society, with, with our bodies, all the, the degradation and the disease and the disability and the pain and then the death in the kingdom of God is going to be done away with. That's going to be on the other side of the veil, some of the stuff we experience on this side of the veil, but even in the kingdom of God, our bodies. And there's not going to be any injustice, any class conflict, any warfare, no unhappiness, every tear wiped away. That's the kingdom of God, the world remade like God. And life now, even as believers, we begin to experience this progressively, more by more in our lives, in our relationships, if we're following Jesus. And that's just a foretaste of what it's going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth. So that's one thing, the kingdom of God, the world remade by God. Second thing it is, is that the kingdom of God means following Jesus' ways. And his ways are crazy. Can I get away with saying that? I mean, his ways are so different, they're counterintuitive, they're upside down, they're different than what we, you know, grew up thinking and being told. You know, what did Jesus say? Love your enemies. What? Love my enemies? Are you, are you kidding? He said, don't call any man fool. Don't call any man raka. Raka is a, you know, kind of Aramaic word. It means you idiot. Well, there's a lot of idiots out there. I got to say that. I I need that as part of my vocabulary. And, you know, don't tell me. And he said, forgive. Forgive everybody. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. But wait, Jesus, you don't know the pain I live in every single day because of what my husband or wife did or my parents. I'm supposed to forgive them. Yes, you're supposed to forgive them. But Jesus, okay, you're great at church, but you don't know, you know, my real life, I go to work, there's this guy at work, he's such a jerk, every opportunity he gets, he's, he pokes me in the eye with something, we're in meetings, he puts me down, I worked on this project for a month, he trashed it, he's out for, I'm sure he's talking to the boss about getting me canned, and you want me to love him? No, I'm going to get back at him. Every, first opportunity, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got some plans for this guy. 
Jesus says, well, you're not my follower. If you're going to be my, if you're my disciple, you need to love your enemies. You need to forgive. And it's this upside-down kingdom. And the reason we do that, of course, is because we know Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. I don't mean just the smartest religious person. Ever. Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. Do you know Jesus is smarter than Jeremy Clarkson? <laughs> He's even smarter than Russell Brand. I mean, sometimes I think, of who, who are our influence makers in society? And I... And, uh, he's smarter than Stephen Hawking. He's, the thing is, the reason I want to say, Jesus, okay, I'm going to set my ways aside. I'm going to now come into your ways, even though when half the things you tell me seem screwy at first, I'm going to follow you because you're smarter than me. Well, that shouldn't take too much faith, you know, but you're smarter than me. And if you want to become the kind of person who is freer increasingly, you want to become the kind of person who has joy, you want to be a person who has more of a, let's say, a positive outlook on life, because we know what a big difference that makes in every single day, then follow Jesus' ways. Not just a little, but consistently as best you can. Do you want to become the kind of person who struggles every day with stress, with worry, with anxiety? You know, some people can hardly get to lunchtime without having a drink because of the struggles and the depression. Or do you want to become the kind of person who is free of those things, who who really has a... Increasingly consistent experience with peace, calm. Well, then follow Jesus' ways because he wants to remake you. He wants to remake me. So that's another aspect of the kingdom of God. Third aspect of the kingdom of God is it means we put everything under his rule, his reign. Jesus, you're the boss now, not me. It's not just about fire insurance. It's not, okay, I got my ticket, my get-out-of-hell-free card. No, Jesus wants to transform Dan Brown and, and, and you. So I, I take everything in my life, my, my attitudes, my thought life, my money, you know, sex life, uh, my relationships, everything, I say, Jesus, this is now coming under you. We're just saying, I surrender. Did we mean it? Lord, I want to know you more. Well, this is how we get to know him more. Surrendering, putting things under his realm, that he changes us. You know, it comes as a shock to some people after they've been in the Lord a while, is that Jesus actually says, obey me. What? That didn't sound very politically correct. (laughs) But actually, all through the Gospels, Jesus says, learn from me and obey. John 14, if you love me, you'll take my suggestions seriously. No, I don't think, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Remember what it was? Go, therefore, into all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them good Christian teaching. No, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. Jesus said over and over, you are to obey him, I am to obey him, He's got a claim on our life. And the wonderful thing is that's what brings freedom. See, we think it brings a straitjacket because we've believed the lie in the world. But actually obeying Jesus, you know, following him, putting those things into practice um, is what brings life. It brings, it brings liberty. I know that G.K. Chesterton says, Yet as I got to know the teachings of Jesus, I saw that there was a certain rule and order. But the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Isn't that great? I love G.K. Chesterton's phraseology. 
and the fact that he lived just down at Beaconsfield. Uh, but the chief aim of Jesus' teachings of his rule and order was to give room for good things to run wild. And I know you've experienced that in your own life as you've submitted your life to his rule and specific things. A number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine came to faith in Christ. This was before I got to know him, but this was many years ago. Uh, and Mike had had a really rough background. But at the time, he was in his 20s. He had a, a company in finance making loans and things. And um, so he'd just come to faith. And my friend Darren uh, was discipling him. In other words, he was kind of being a mentor to him in the early stages of what it means to follow Christ. And Darren says to Mike, Mike, it's fantastic. You've become a Christian. You believe these things. You say you want to follow Christ, and I believe you're sincere. But you've also told me that in your business practices, you're constantly having to cut corners to shade the truth, which is a nice way of saying you lie. Uh, you're breaking the law, and uh, you're really not being very fair to your clients sometimes, basically cheating them in some ways. You're, now that you're following Christ, that stops. That's got to stop. That's not consistent at all with what Jesus taught about life. And Mike said, Darren, Darren, Darren. That's nice, but you're so naive. Because in our business, especially in this part of the country, everybody does it, and you've got to do it to survive. If I were to change that, I would be out of business in three months. And Mike, Darren said, well, then I'm out of here. Because if you're going to follow Christ, then you're going to follow Christ. And I'm not going to be involved unless you're willing to say yes to obedience to him. So Mike said, oh, okay. Uh, I, I, I do want to follow Christ. And I'm going to be out of business in six months or so, but that's better than not following the Lord. So let's do it. Within a year, two things happened. Some of his competitors who continued on with their practices were arrested, convicted, and imprisoned. Mike's business took off, and to this day, he makes bazillions of dollars, one of the most successful finance companies in the United States, and, and gives huge amounts of money to the work of the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying it always works out that way, circumstantially, but God's ways are best. That, that shouldn't surprise us uh, in any way. Think of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, let's put this in perspective. Where is this whole kingdom thing? Jesus says, Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that for a minute. Your kingdom and your will are done consistently all over the universe, you know, in heaven. All, all the rest of the universe, all of the other creatures, all of the other beings, they live in perfect harmony with God's ways, with his commandments. But here's this little outpost earth that for a brief period of time, a parenthesis of time, God in his sovereignty has allowed there to be this rebellion going on and that you and I live in. But Jesus says it's not going to stay that way. God, Father, will you change that? Will you bring it about so that even on earth, your kingdom, your ways, your will will be done consistently because that's what we need. And we need that to get through this rebellion and on and living into the kingdom. The other day I was walking home from work and I came up beside this, this old guy and he was walking along with a cane. He was probably 85 and every step was a battle. And then he got up to some steps and I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be a train wreck. But he got up the steps. And I thought, well, good on him for getting out and doing the best he can. I thought, this is sad. This is not the way God intended it. God did not intend our bodies to be like that. That's sad. Every day he's got to deal with that. Or you may know of a a married couple, maybe somebody in your family, maybe even your own experience, where 
The marriage started out great. There was joy. It was exciting. It was so fun to be together. The companionship, the, the romance and sexuality, it was just wonderful. It was a taste of heaven. But over time, just things got in. And this, today, they could hardly stand to be in the room together. It's just, filled, it's just bitterness. And maybe that's your experience, or maybe you're, maybe you're in a good relationship if you're married, you have a good relationship, but you probably look on to something like that and say, there but by the grace of God go I, because I know the sickness of the human heart. But see, the thing is, that's so sad, because that is not what God intended. That's not what he meant. That's not what he means for us. How much pain is in this world? A little? A lot. How broken is God's heart when he sees his sons and daughters every day just slogging through the muck and the mire and just living lives that aren't anywhere near what he intended? God wants to pull you out of the muck and the mire and me. And So to kind of wrap this thing up, you know, what is the kingdom? I like how Dallas Word explains it. I won't quote him, but he said basically, you know, in the, in the disciples, the early disciples, they walked with Jesus, they lived with Jesus, they learned from Jesus, and then they began to put into practice what Jesus did and said. They did so very imperfectly, but progressively. It's the same today with you and me. We follow him, we live with him, we're in fellowship with him, we learn and we put into practice what he said. Not perfectly, but, but progressively. We take his yoke. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? You don't put a yoke on and think that's going to bring rest, but in fact it does. Because Jesus, he's our ruler, but he's a gentle ruler. He's an understanding ruler. He's our, he's our restorative ruler. So again, this, uh, this principle of obedience to Jesus, this principle of transformation this, of a process, it's all over the pages of the New Testament. But I would submit to you, we don't talk about it maybe as much as we should. We, we tend to shy away from it, don't we, a little bit. Why do we do that? Well, it occurs to me, I think maybe we're cautious about people hearing us and hearing legalism. Oh, if we talk too much about you know, obeying Jesus and things like that, well, that's, that's just legalism. And that's, that's a good caution because legalism really uh, can be a cancer in the Christian life. In other words, if people think, they hear us and we think, well, what we're talking about is a bunch of rules, a bunch of, you know, do's and don'ts, and that's the Christian life. That's not at all. That's not at all what Jesus talked about. And, and I think, you know, even the songs we sang this morning make it clear, that's not what, the, what this is about. Or legalism says, you want to get right with God? Well, the way to get right with God is that you get your act together. And you do, you know, you obey Jesus' commands, you know, to a certain extent, and then you're over the threshold, and then you're right with God. You know, in other words, it's your own efforts that have saved you. Is that what we mean? That's heresy. That is absolute heresy. Because we are made right with God the old-fashioned way, which is by grace. Grace and grace alone. Grace through faith accomplished by the blood of Jesus, his death on the cross for me. That's the only way in which we're made right with God. That's the starting point. But we don't stay there. We go, you know, we go on and, and, and walk with him. But anyway... Could it be that maybe sometimes we don't talk about these things as much as we should because of an overreaction? I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, but we don't mean at all earning salvation. Dallas Willard says this. I think this is helpful. It is all about grace. But grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. 
Okay, so that's a, kind of a little introduction, a little bit of a thumbnail, kingdom of God. What is the good news? Now, you know, good news and gospel are the same thing. It's the same word in the Greek, good news, gospel. You'll hear it different ways, different translations. It's meaning the same thing. Uh, and it means a happy news. It means, hey, I just heard something. This, is, this changes everything. This is really good stuff. This is, this is it's fun. It's, there's some happy news here on the table. What was the good news of Jesus? Well, over and over and over, talked about Jesus preached the good news. We just, we just read one a moment ago. But there are many other verses, 111 times, remember, in the gospel? Uh, what it was, I mean, about the kingdom. What was the good news? Well, it wasn't actually the cross. See, we tend to think the good news, the gospel, is the cross, it's forgiveness, it's salvation, eternal life. Are those part of the good news? Absolutely. We know after you know, the death and resurrection, that's very crucial, very central, very important, but it's not the whole thing. The good news that Jesus taught was, anybody want to take a guess? The kingdom of God. Over and over and over, when, when Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talks about the good news, the phrase is added, the good news of the kingdom of God. Catch that? And I've, I've pondered, how is that good news? How is the kingdom good news? It seems a bit, you know, there's a kingdom that's going to tell me how to live, and maybe that's even restrictive news. That's, how is that good news? The text says Jesus saw the multitudes, and he had compassion on them. He knew the garbage of their lives. He knew how hard their lives were. He knew how degraded things were. It says he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That's the way our lives get when we don't have a shepherd, when we don't have the shepherd. And so what is the the good news? What is the news of the kingdom? Well, it's that there's a king. A king is now on the scene, a king who's going to set things right, a king who's going to do away with injustice, a king who's going to transform my life and make it better, and my family better, and our cities better. You know, this king is now coming. That king is Jesus. And so, yes, that's the good news. Okay, I can get excited about that. That, does, that makes some sense, that, that the good news is the king, and the good news is the kingdom, and so it be, begins to make a little bit more, more sense. Um, and as we've seen, Part and parcel of that is the king rules. I mean, he's not a, you know, Queen Elizabeth going by in a parade. <laughs> he's really the king. I mean, he does, he's got full authority. He, you know, he's, he's a real king, more like a Caesar, you might even think. And he rules, he reigns, he rebuilds. I surrender, you surrender. He has a claim on your life, and that too is part of the good news. That's part of the good news. And so obedience to him is central. It's not optional. Let me read you this uh, little story. Uh, This book, by the way, is my favorite book on the subject. Follow Me. Experience the Loving Leadership of Jesus by Jan Hatinga. I recommend it to all the staff and elders and everybody uh, here at at King's. Um, So Jeff and Linda came to our discovery class for six months and then disappeared an attractive, intelligent couple. They appeared to have it all together. The message of Jesus had been explained in clear and interesting ways, but when the issue of repentance came up, Jeff and Linda turned away. Submission of their lives to God was too much to ask. They were attracted to the benefits of the kingdom, but yielding control of their lives to their creator struck them as extreme. Now, three years later, they have resurfaced in the recovery ministry, which deals with obsessive, compulsive, and addictive behaviors. Jeff is a cocaine addict. 
Linda is a devotee of a New Age cult. Their marriage is hanging by a thread. What happened? They rejected the leadership of God and then willingly submitted their lives to the control of lesser false gods. This young couple is not alone in their amazing behavior. All over this world, the same people who reject the supervision of the king of the universe accept lesser oppressive masters without so much as a second thought. Could God rescue souls without a kingdom confrontation? No. Repentance, which means, Lord, I'm going to turn around. I've been calling my own shots. Now I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to surrender myself, submit myself to your leadership. I'm going to follow you. And I won't do it perfectly. I'll falter. But I know you're there to pick me up every time I do. But I'm going to set my aim of my heart to follow you. Uh, He couldn't affirm his love for us without also affirming his leadership in our lives. What we're not saying here is come to Christ and get your act together. No. Come to Christ and, and clean up things. No. But come to Christ and learn from him. Take his yoke upon you, for he is gentle and humble of heart. So, okay, run that past me again. I'm not sure I see what's so important about this kingdom thing. Let me see if I'm making sense of it. Jerry was talking. He had been meeting with me for early morning breakfast for about a month. You know I believe in God and the Bible, he continued. I told you I gave my heart to Jesus as a 12-year-old at summer camp. So I'm a Christian, right? I know I've messed up my life, the booze, the two divorces, the gambling debts and all that. But I've always been a Christian in my heart. His eyes were pleading for me to affirm his fantasy. I've been listening to your story for a month now, Jerry. You've been down a pretty rough road. Jerry, I don't doubt that you love Jesus and your ex-wives and your kids, whom you can't see because of restraining orders. But your back trail reveals that you love yourself a whole lot more than any of them. He flared immediately. Wait a minute. How can you play God and tell me what's in my heart? Sit down, Jerry. I'm the only friend you've got. These pastors get to have some fun counseling sometimes. He stood there clenching and unclenching his fists, glaring down at me. With nothing left to lose, I told him the truth. You know, when all else fails. Gently and with compassion, I recounted to him the long, nightmarish list of disastrous, self-indulgent choices he had made. Where in all of this tangled mess is there any sign that God, the Bible, Jesus meant anything to you at all? Think about what you're saying. You insist that you believe in God and the Bible, but you act as if you are in the driver's seat of your life. God is just a word that evokes a warm feeling. You get all emotional when you sing Christian songs, but you have no allegiance to God. Jesus makes no decision a difference in your decision-making. He hasn't been allowed to change your behavior. You've missed the whole effect that believing in him is supposed to produce. Softly, he asked, all right, what do I do? What prayer will make it work this time? For three years now, Jerry has followed through on his surrender to the Lord Jesus. He is a radically changed man with a growing reputation for integrity and generosity. Everything about his life is influenced by his ongoing process of following Jesus in the kingdom of God. His life is a miracle of transformation. Maybe be sitting there thinking, okay, I, I get it, but... You know, I've, I've 
had different areas of my life, and we all have different areas. It might be our, our anger. It might be lustful thoughts, you know, every man's battle. It might be that we're just a, a sinkhole of selfishness, you know, so self-centered in different ways. It might be we've gotten into things on the Internet that we shouldn't have gotten into, but now it's so hard, it's, it's addictive. It may be just we treat people bad. It may be we've gotten into some, you know, a whole host of things. We could all talk about things. All of us come into this as damaged goods. All of us have struggles. And you may be thinking, I've tried things. I've, I've realized, okay, I want, I want this area to change. And, and, but it's hard. It doesn't, you know, it's, and it, I don't think this can work. Well, if you're thinking that this morning, you're a terrible person. And can the elders come and, and, or, and take people away who are thinking that? No, no, no. I mean, if you're thinking that, if you struggle in that way, you're in good company. Because that's where we're all at. It is hard. I mean, sometimes I know the Lord is putting his finger on an area of my life, and I think, I'm not so sure I want to change, to be frank. <laughs> I'm not really convinced it's that important. Okay. And then just have to give it over to the Lord and say yes to his obedience. And again, we're going we're gonna to fail. We're going to falter. He's so loving. He picks us up when we do. And we falter again, he picks us up again, but we've set our hearts to say, Lord, I want to follow your ways. And we don't have time this morning to talk about it, but we have power. I so love when Neil Stewart was taught on Romans 8, where that's where the power, that's the power chapter, that, that those who walk in the Spirit have life and peace. We're no longer bound to the old, old nature, but we can walk in it. And, you know, we live in a, in a world where post-enlightenment, post-modern, we hate authority. Every bit of authority is to be distrusted, and we transfer that over to God. And it's all about no limits, you know, no restrictions. And this is such a lie of the world around us. But Jesus' ways is actually what frees. We live in a world that is grossly, grossly ugly. And the only antidote for that is for Jesus to pull us out and to change, to change us from the inside. But also he's transforming the world. A number of years ago, Monica and I were in uh, Poland. Anybody been to Poland? Lovely country. And we went to Krakow, which is this beautiful city. I want to go back there sometime. The river going through there, the hills, the restaurants, and uh, it's wonderful. But we set aside the next morning for something uh, rather sober, and that is Auschwitz is right there, Auschwitz and Birkenau. So we went to Auschwitz and, you know, the, the Nazi camp, concentration camp. And a couple of things strike you when you go into Auschwitz. You, know, you walk through the gate, Arbeit macht frei, work, you know, create, makes you free, which is a load of, you know. And, and it hits you that the horrible, horrible things happened here and the chilling efficiency and the record keeping. But one thing that also hits you about Auschwitz itself, it's, it's a nice place. I mean, these beautiful lawns, nice buildings. It could be a you know, nice conference center. But, you know, that is where they perfected the techniques with the Zyklon gas and they killed over 1.1 million people, mostly Jews, in that place in Birkenau down the road. Um, and then we went to Birkenau. It's about three miles away. They're kind of basically the same, Auschwitz. And Birkenau is not a nice place. It's huge. You have all these foundations where there were like, I don't know how many dozens and dozens and dozens of these, uh, these buildings. And the, the time that really hit me, we were out on the train platform. There was this long quarter-mile kind of train platform, and that's where... We've all seen the, those pictures on the newsreels and in the movies. And you look back, and there's that iconic entryway to Birkenau. If I had a picture, you'd all recognize it. But I just sat there. 
you know, I was almost could see the people coming off those train cars, hundreds of thousands every week. I just, ah. And that evening we went to dinner, and a friend of ours, and I don't even know where she was with the Lord, she said, I, you know, that was awful. Mankind could descend that far. But thank goodness that could never happen again. And we could never do that. And I don't know who she meant by we. Americans or, you know, what. Well, uh, but, you know, I said, actually I was having the exact opposite thought. We are still very capable of that. And not just them. You know, perhaps the Fourth Reich, the next one like this, will come from the United States. Who knows? But not just them. Me. I've got, you know, that's... that's that capacity for that kind of evil is in me, unchecked by the Lord and the Holy Spirit. We could be there. And all of us, you know, we're victims of the garbage that's in this world, the hurt, the pain, but we're contributors to it too, aren't we? Everybody is a victim and a perpetrator. We receive, we also give back, and we put into the pool of garbage that's in this world. Like a, a, a sign that I saw once said, you're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. <laughs> I thought, okay, yeah, my car's here, my four wheels on the ground, my brake lights. <laughs> okay, I get the point. Yeah. Um, but that's true of all of us. Uh, we're, and we're all, you know, you may have been in the Lord 20 years, but we, we still struggle with things because we've inherited things. We're, we're all damaged goods, and that's okay because we're all accepted by the grace of God. But he takes us where we are and moves us forward. But this is wonderful in that the all those kind of downer passages in Scripture, you know, those dark things that, you know, like where Paul talks about how horrible the human condition is and our fallen human nature and we're just, you know, the wretchedness of, of mankind and depravity and all those things. We say, okay, lighten up, Paul. And realize, no, actually, he's telling the truth. Those passages now become good news. Ironically, they point to good news because what he's saying is that, you know, he's talking about life as we know it, but we're used to life as we know it. We think this is normal. It's not normal. So it points to when Jesus brings about, you know, the restoration of all things. I love that phrase of his. When he brings that about, it's going to be so much incredibly wonderful beyond what we can even imagine. You know, heaven is not just going to be some Disneyland. Heaven is going to be the removal of everything that hurts, everything that spoils. And so we're going to be able to experience a joy throughout the day, every single day that we can't even imagine. We're going to have a serenity about us that we can't even imagine. We're going to feel his love and his presence every moment in ways we can't even imagine. And it just, it just, you know, it just gets me so excited. And we experience that now to a certain extent as we enter the kingdom of God and live according to the kingdom of God. And in a minute, we're, you know, we're going to sing a song about his coming and what, how that all changes. So when we sing that song, please connect these things with the words of that song. Well, let's pray. And I'm just going to ask everybody, if this may be a little bit traditional, but if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, bowing your head, if you feel comfortable doing that. Heavenly Father, would you bring these things home to our hearts? Today, maybe this is new for you, some of these thoughts. Maybe this is a reminder. But I would just invite everybody here to say, Lord, I want to enter the kingdom of God. I want to live according to the kingdom of God. I want to submit, surrender to your ways, Jesus, because you and you alone know the best way to live life and to bring restoration. Lord, this day, August 10th, 
Lord, would you mark it? I'm making a decision to be not just somebody who comes to church, but to be a disciple, a disciple of you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your leadership. Amen.